How are we doing? Hey, like Pastor David said, we came back from Mission Camp about a week ago, and uh, uh, it was a ton of fun. So I want to say thank you very much for uh, letting me be there with your students. And you might be thinking, well, are we hearing from a a high schooler about their mission camp experience. No, I am actually the Can Campus student minister. Um, you would not be alone if you thought I was a high schooler. I was playing basketball the other day, and a kid goes, hey, you graduate yet? And I was like, yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> and he was like, no, you're lying. But, um, but I feel so blessed to be able to lead your students, and uh, so thank you. Thank you for trusting me with that. And uh, if you are interested in uh, pouring into and loving on students, we can get you involved. So, so come talk to me afterwards if you want, and uh, we can get you hooked up with that. But I feel like we should get to know each other a little bit, right? Uh, so a little bit about myself. I am married to the most amazing woman in the world. Her name is Amanda. Uh, I think we have a picture of her. Uh, that's her right there, along with our two-year-old puppy, Callie. She is a handful, but uh, she has given us good training for our little girl, our five-month-old daughter, Riley. That's her. Yeah, she is precious. She's got a little bit of a cold right now, so uh, you can be praying for her. But uh, yeah, so a, a little bit more about myself. I am, uh, I'm an overthinker about things. Anybody else an overthinker? Yeah, all right, my people, I see you. Um, but, but I know I annoy my wife, but probably because I'm a selective overthinker. I only overthink certain things. So, for instance, I overthink commercials. Whenever I watch commercials, I will pick, a, pick it apart. If there's something that I see that's wrong, I'll be like, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. Like, yeah, it's a commercial. Like, it's not supposed to be realistic. Uh, or movies and TV, I'll be, I'll be watching a movie and just like nudge my wife like, that, that was ridiculous. Like we're watching Godzilla versus King Kong and it's like, they would never run toward that battle. Why would they, they would be dead. That building would have fallen on them. We're talking about thousand foot tall creatures from the sea and from a jungle. So like, it, what, it's ridiculous, but I know it and I've accepted it about myself. And you might think that, oh, well, my wife, like she, she's got her hands full. But uh, ironically, right when I was writing that for this lesson, uh, she turned to me and asked me, hey, Dave, uh, if you could be an insect, what insect would you be? <laughs> and we proceeded for 10 minutes to talk about which insects we would be. And we even included the dog and defined what insect the dog would be. Um, so I married the right person. Don't worry. I did. Um, but I love to uh, argue things. I love to overthink certain things. And when I was younger, a lot of people thought I would be, that would make me a good lawyer. That, uh, <laughs> that, and you might be thinking, oh, okay, that's the career path my kid's going to be in. Okay, they love to argue with me. They're going to be a lawyer. All right. Uh, but I, I was really into uh, being a lawyer when I was really young because that's what people were telling me. And so, uh, I, but I think that good-natured debates are fun sometimes. Right? They can be fun. And so when you're thinking about the courtroom, if you boil it all down, uh, to be a lawyer, you have to know the process. And when you boil that process down, it, it, come, it turns into three things. You have three questions that you have to ask yourself. One, what's on trial? The second thing is, what's the evidence? And the third thing is, what's the verdict? So what's on trial? Essentially, what, uh, uh, who or what is being debated? What are the different opinions? How serious is the crime or, or what you're debating? 
And then you look at what is the evidence. So what is there to prove that one opinion is right over the other? Or what is there to disprove an opinion versus the other? And then what's the verdict? Basically, what, what is truth? Or at least what is the closest we can get to the truth? And whenever I said courtroom, it probably gave you a picture in your mind, like an, uh, instantly an image popped into your mind. That's because the courtroom is a very vivid picture, right? Whether it's from all the courtroom dramas, or maybe you've had some legal troubles, or maybe you've just had the pleasure of being on jury duty. Uh, we all have a picture in our minds of what a courtroom is like because it's such a vivid picture in society. And so uh, John, Jesus's disciple, he knew this very well. And so he actually used the courtroom motif all throughout the Gospel of John. And so uh, we are going to be reading on in our study of John, as we've been doing for, for quite a while now. And uh, we are in John 5. And John is all about discovering the person of Jesus and how he wants us to live. So we are going to be continuing on this week in John 5. But before we open up scripture, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to gather together and that we get to dive into your word. God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth may not be my words, but your words spoken through me because my words are failing, but your words never, never are. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are going to be in John 5. John 5, verse 30, and we're gonna be reading through verse 38. But before you read anything in scripture, there is something that you need to know, and that's context. There we go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Context. I, I say this all the time with my students, that, uh, that if we are just reading scripture without any background information, without any context, it can be difficult. Because the Bible isn't always the easiest thing to read, right? But if we know what happened before, if we know what happened after, if we know what they're specifically talking kind of around in the moment of the scripture that we're reading, it helps us better understand exactly what God is trying to say. So some context to John 5, verse 30 through 38. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Jason actually walked us through the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman and how this was not something that Jewish people typically did. The Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews, right? And so this was not something that, that the, the religious leaders would have, uh, would have okayed for Jesus to do, but Jesus did it anyways. And then two weeks ago, Pastor David, he walked us through Jesus healing the lame man and then declaring that he was the son of God. Again, not something that Jewish leaders would have loved. Especially Jesus healed on the Sabbath, which was something that was terrible to them, that he was working on the Sabbath. And Dave, Pastor David walked us through that scripture. And then last week, Pastor Chad continued that chapter of chapter five, where Jesus actually talked to the religious leaders and declared even more, describing the son of God and his relationship with the father. So that's where we're going to be picking up. Jesus is talking to these Jewish leaders that wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Keep that in mind. Because uh, they didn't love his actions and they really hated his claims. That he claimed to be the son of God, that was the reason they wanted to kill him. So with all of that context in mind, let's start reading John chapter five, verse 30. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. I can do nothing on my own. 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So this verse right here is actually just reiterating what Jesus previously said in verse 19 that Pastor Chad led us through. In in verse 19, it says, uh, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. And here at the beginning of verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. So you see, he's saying the same thing, but instead of saying the son, he replaces that with himself. So he is not dancing around it. He is making it very clear to these religious leaders that he is the son of God. And that's not going to make them very happy. Uh, So let's keep reading verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So this is where we're going to start our conversation about testimony. John uses that that phrase a lot throughout his gospel, and especially here in these verses that we're going to read. And testimony in the original language just means to bear witness. So again, that's bringing in kind of that courtroom motif that John uses a lot, where a witness is used in trial to uh, give their testimony, to say what they see. And so uh, when we're talking about the witnesses to Jesus, it's they're trying to figure out what is the truth. What did they see in Jesus that would make him who he says he is? And so in a courtroom, a, a jury is usually used whenever there is a serious offense. And Jesus claiming to be the son of God, that would be a serious offense in the religious uh, community. So naturally, the court that Jesus is facing is the court of public opinion, right? These are the people that he is trying to convince that he is who he says he is. The public, the Jewish people. And so uh, what we see, though, is that there was a debate about who Jesus was and that there still is a debate about who Jesus is, right? Like back then, they were, st- they were still arguing about who Jesus was. Was he the son of God or was he not? And we're still arguing that today. Is Jesus the son of God or is he not? And so the, the fact that people disagree with the Bible and disagree with what Jesus said, that's never changed. People have always disagreed with the Bible. The only thing that's changed is really just how many people have disagreed at a time. And so as Jesus is saying that uh, that these claims of his, he's saying that if he claims uh, only to be the son of God, you can't really rely on his testimony alone. That that, uh, if his claims relied solely on himself, you couldn't believe it, right? So let me... Because it, it's impossible to prove. So let me, let me put it this way. Are there any parents in the house? Have you ever asked your kid, because the Halloween candy went missing, and have you ever asked your kids, hey, did you eat the Halloween candy? And what's their response? No, of course not. Even if their face is full of chocolate, it's no, no, I didn't do it. it but you can't really trust it by itself, right? There's not much validity to their testimony on their own. You're not sure. Well, if you, you're sure if you see the chocolate on their face. You're pretty sure. Uh, or any teachers. Any teachers here? You ever asked a kid, uh, hey, did you hit little Jimmy? And their response is always, no, I didn't do it. 
But their testimony by themselves is not really reliable. And it's not because it's not true. It's just really hard to prove. It's really hard to prove that, someone, that someone's testimony by themselves about themselves is true. So what Jesus is saying here is that if I alone testify about myself, you can't trust that. But I have testimonies of other people. I have another, Jesus says. And that person that he's talking about, that he's referring to, is God. So right now, he's talking about God. And we see this before Jesus started his ministry. He was baptized. And as Jesus was getting baptized by John the Baptist, it says that the heavens opened up and that the Spirit of God descended like a dove and that God spoke in that moment and declared that this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus heard God testify about him, saying, this is my son, declaring his identity. So Jesus knows, not because of anybody else, not because of himself, but because he heard God say, this is my son. So when we, when we look at the defense of Jesus in this courtroom, if there was a defense of Jesus, the first defense for Jesus would be the testimony of God. God already declared it at his baptism that he was the son of God. So that's what we have. But Jesus then speaks of another person. Jesus is giving all the evidence here. And so we look at verse 33. It says, you sent to John, and he has, talking about John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So we started with, in defense of Jesus, with God's testimony of Jesus. But now we move on to John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus. So his case is building here. And now John the Baptist, when we look at his life, he was a witness to the, the works and the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist was the prophet that was prophesied about in Isaiah called a voice crying out in the wilderness, declaring the way, paving the way for the savior that was to come. Because the Old Testament prophesied about this Messiah, this person that was going to save the Jewish people. And so uh, the Jewish people were expectant. They were waiting for this Messiah. And John the Baptist was this witness that was to come. But Jesus is saying here that he himself, Jesus, did not need John's testimony, right? We just talked about that, that he heard from God. So when we, when we compare, God is saying that you're God's son, that you're his son, or John the Baptist is saying that you're God's son, I would say God's testimony is a little bit stronger. So Jesus is saying, I don't need John's testimony. I've got God's testimony. But John isn't here for me. John is here for you, right? John's testimony was for the Jewish people of the time. He even calls him a burning and shining lamp, which if you've been around church for a little bit, you've probably heard the verse, Psalm 119, 105, where your word is a what? Lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So this is the same terminology that they used in, in Psalm to, de uh, to describe John the Baptist, that he was a lamp. And so just like scripture, 
which was the lamp to my feet, uh, just like scripture was used, is used to guide the path of people and point them to the truth, so John was to guide the people to the truth as well. And that was the Messiah, who was Jesus. And it says that, that John was accepted, John the Baptist was accepted for a while, which he was. People actually flocked to him because people were expectant for the Messiah to come. However, when he declared that Jesus was the Messiah, they realized this guy doesn't look like what we expected our Messiah to look like. Many Jewish people, mostly the religious leaders, thought that the Messiah was going to come straight from the heavens, that he was going to come down straight from the heavens. But Jesus came as a baby born in a manger. So not the same. The, the religious leaders thought that he would come down with sword in hand, ready for war, ready for battle. But Jesus came down in humility, ready to make peace. The religious leaders thought that he would come ready to fight the Roman Empire, ready to free the Jewish people from the Roman Empire that was ruling over them at the time. But Jesus came to free everybody from sin. And so these are two different images of the Messiah. And Jesus did not fit the image that the religious leaders had in their mind about what the Messiah should look like. And so while they accepted John's uh, prophecy at first, after a while, they ended up rejecting it. And Jesus explains why these people, why these religious leaders just aren't getting it. This is what he says in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, which remember, he had just healed a lame man, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So Jesus further explains that his works show his identity. He just healed a lame man, and yet the religious leaders, they were complaining that he healed a man on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, do you not see what I did? You don't believe that I'm the Messiah? Do you, have you not seen it? Uh, and then Jesus breaks down their lack of understanding. The, the first thing that he says is that they don't hear God's voice. And now the, the religious leaders would know very well the stories of their ancestors. And one of those people would be Moses. Moses heard the voice of God, the audible voice of God. He heard it in a burning bush. And then afterwards, he was the mouthpiece. God would speak to Moses and be, use him as the mouthpiece for the nation of Israel. And so what Jesus is saying here is that unlike Moses, who heard the voice of God, you don't. This guy that you have studied, that you know very well, that you follow to an extent, you are not like him. So that's the first thing he says. You don't hear God's voice. The second thing he says is that you don't see God's form, which again, that, that would reference another ancestor of theirs, Jacob, also known as Israel, the namesake of their people, the Israelites. And now Jacob, as we learned in the 
uh, the series that Pastor Jason led us through called Welcome to the Wrestle, which I feel like whenever we say it, we got to say it like uh, Pastor Jason. So if we could all say it like Pastor Jason said it, um, if you were here, ready? One, two, three. Welcome to the wrestle. <sighs> it just feels good. It just feels good. Um, Pastor Jason walked us through that story of Jacob wrestling with God and how he actually saw the form of God and wrestled with him. And so what Jesus is saying here is that where Jacob saw the form of God, you do not. So you are not like Jacob. You're not like Moses. You're not like Jacob. And he goes on one further, and he says that you do not have the word abiding in your heart, which that would reference something that Joshua said. In the first chapter of Joshua, he said that they should meditate on the word day and night, and that the word of God should be on their lips, and that it should abide in them. And so what Jesus is saying here to these religious leaders is that you are not like Moses because you do not hear the word of God. You are not like Jacob because you have never seen the form of God. And you are not like Joshua because the word does not abide in your heart. So all these men that these Jewish leaders have studied their whole lives, all these men that they, they lift up and declare as, as righteous men, Jesus is saying, you're not like any of them. You're not. Because you don't know the one whom God has sent, which is me. You don't see it. So Jesus is taking a shot at these men and saying that, that uh, they do not know the word that they so intensely claim to know. And they were not like Moses. They were not like Jacob. They were not like Joshua. And now this might be easy for us to look at them and say like, wow, these dummies. How, how do they not get it? How do they not get it? Like God or Jesus just healed a lame man and he's giving proof of who he is. Right? God declared who I am at my baptism. Have you heard that, guys? John the Baptist declared who I was. He is the prophet coming out of the wilderness, which if you've read about John the Baptist, dude, spend some time in the wilderness. Uh, and I've done, and I've just healed a man right in front of you. How do you not see it? And it could be so easy for each of us to say, wow, these guys, these religious leaders, they are, they're ridiculous. They're so blind. But yet, in reality, each and every one of us were where they were, separated from God. Our sin separates us from God. And unless we have received salvation, that separation remains. And usually, if we've received salvation, God used someone's testimony to get us there. God used someone's story to help us realize the truth of who Jesus was. Whether that was a parent when you were younger, whether that was a friend that you saw that, that had a joy in their life, whether it was a coworker, a spouse, whoever it may have been, God has typically used other people's stories in our lives to allow us to see the truth about Jesus. And so, when we, when we look at that, we realize that God uses us. That in defense of Jesus, building up the defense of Jesus, we have God's testimony of Jesus. We have John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus. And lastly, 
right now, our testimony of Jesus. That God uses our stories to help lead people to salvation. And this is one of the greatest moves of God. This is brilliant that he uses people whose lives he has changed to help people to change their lives. It's one of the most brilliant moves of God. He could have uh, just whenever we've accepted salvation, boom, immediately called us up to heaven. Like, beam me up, Scotty. I'm ready to go. I've accepted salvation. Boom, you're up into heaven. Or he could say, hey, you accepted salvation. Great job. All right. Just sit back, relax, kick back. You don't have have to do anything else. Wait till you die. Enjoy life. That's what he could say. But instead, he decides to use us, to use our stories. And what we see is that our testimony isn't for God. It's for others. Our testimony isn't for God. It's for others. Because God doesn't need our testimony to realize who he is. Jesus doesn't need our testimony to realize who he is. But others do. Others need to hear the truth. And the truth that God has done in our lives is that he died for our sins, that Jesus died for our sins, and that he rose from the dead defeating sin. And that if we accept him as our Lord and Savior, that separation from God is no longer there, that our relationship is made right, and that we can go to heaven when we die and spend eternity with God. And we are bearing witness to that, to bring back that courtroom motif that John uses. We are witnesses to that. But something that, uh, that Pastor Jason says so often, and something that holds us back from this, Pastor Jason says that the greatest danger to the church isn't crisis, it's comfort. The greatest danger so often we feel like would be crisis, would be persecution, or would be, would be oh, you know what, if, if I was killed, that, that's the thing that I'm worried about. I'm worried about being killed, or I'm worried about being made fun of or persecuted. I'm worried about uh, America, the America not being a Christian nation anymore. That would be a crisis. But really, if we look at it, the gospel thrived in persecution. The early church thrived despite being persecuted, despite being killed. Before America was even a thing, before it was a country, the gospel thrived. The church thrived. So the greatest danger to the church is not a crisis, it's comfort. It's us feeling like, well, I'm good. I don't need to do anything. You know, God's going to do his thing. He's got all the power in the world. We talk about it all the time at church. So I don't need to do anything. That's the greatest danger. That's what the enemy really wants us to think. Because if we're not doing anything, when who hears? Who is testifying about who Jesus is? And again, one of the greatest moves by God is that he uses all of us to testify his name. And if all of us are saying, no, I'm good. Well, then who's testifying his name? God uses our testimony. First, he uses our testimony to proclaim Jesus's identity, that we declare who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God. 
and we can say that. But also, God uses our testimony to proclaim Jesus as our identity. That I am no longer the sinful person that I am because I have Jesus. Now, we still sin. I'm not saying that. But when God sees me, when I die and I go to heaven, it will not be my identity that God says, ah, you can come into heaven, David. It will not be because of what I've done. It won't be because of that. It will be because of what Jesus did. His identity is now my testimony, not my own. And so proclaiming Jesus as our identity can be so difficult because it's a measure of our hearts. It's a measure of what we actually believe. And what we believe will be seen in our lives. Right? What, what is in our hearts, what we actually believe, will be acted out in our lives. And so the question is, is do people see your testimony? Do people see what you actually believe? Another way of saying this is that if you were on trial for believing in Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would people look at your life if you were on trial and say, oh, yeah, they're guilty of believing in Jesus. I can tell. I can tell that they believe in Jesus. I was talking to Pastor David Stein about this lesson this week, and, and he said this. He said, if we're talking more about where the best pizza place is than we are about who God is, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. And, we, and if you know Pastor David, he knows his pizza. He does. He, when I first came on here last year, he told me right away, Antico Pizza is the best pizza there is. And he was right. And I, I will debate anybody, because again, I love debates. I will debate anybody that Antico Pizza is not the best pizza. It is. But you might be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go up to Pastor David after this and say, and, and say like, oh, Antico Pizza is not the best pizza. But if you're more willing to do that than to have a debate about what the best pizza place is, then to talk about Jesus and who he is, something's wrong. And we do this all the time. We do this with college football. We do this with uh, TV shows, problems at work. We're more willing to talk about those things than about what Jesus has done in our lives. And something's wrong with that. Testimony is one of the most powerful pieces of evidence in a court of law. And it's the same with our faith. Because somebody can argue whether they believe that Jesus rose from the dead or not. Someone can argue that. Someone can argue the theory of evolution versus intelligent design or that God created the entire universe. People can and do argue that all the time. But nobody can argue with your testimony of how God changed your life. Nobody can argue with that. Because that's what happened to you. That's your life, how God impacted your life and how there's life change in you. And so that's why testimony is one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that we can use in our faith. So the question is, is who needs to hear your testimony? Who needs to hear it? Is it your friend? Is it your coworker? Is it your spouse? Who is it that needs to hear your testimony? 
Because I can promise you, if you identify that person, when you leave here, immediately floods of thoughts are going to come into your head of, oh, well, that's really intimidating. Like, I, I can't do that because if I do that, they're going to see me in a totally different way. Or I, I might not, if I tell my coworker about this or my boss, I might not get the promotion at work because I'll be judged. Other people will put their preconceived notions about what a Christian is on me. So that's, that's really intimidating. Or you might think that this person won't believe anyways. My Uncle Joe, he won't believe no matter what I tell him. So I'm just, it's not worth it. It's not worth the argument. It's not worth the discussion. Or you might say, I don't really have a great testimony. I don't have a great story. Like, uh, Lifetime is not going to make a movie about my testimony, all right? So you might be thinking that. But let me tell you that if you have received salvation, you have received the greatest victory that there ever was. You have received a miracle. It is a miracle. No matter if you were, you were saved uh, in jail after committing a ton of crimes or if you were saved at a VBS when you were seven. Because I'll tell you right now, my testimony is more like the latter. I was saved when I was young. I was raised up in church and I, I've just kind of be believed. I've seen what God has done in my life since then. And that's my testimony. But either way, it's a miracle that I went from death to life. And so if you're thinking, I don't have a testimony, I don't have a story, I want you to know God can use your story. And God wants to use your story. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Guys, the gospel gives us hope. And our testimony speaks to that hope. We are called to be ready to share our story of hope. And it's beautiful that God allows us to be used in his plans. But you can't use, you can't share what you don't have. And so I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. If you have never received the beautiful gift of salvation, we're going to open that up right now. We're going to open up that opportunity that if you have never declared that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that your sin separates you from God, we're going to give you that chance right now. So if everybody can close their eyes, if that's you and you want to declare that for the first time, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, Just say these words to God. God, I admit that I am a sinner. And I believe that your son Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross to pay for my sins, and then rose from the dead, defeating grave, defeating death, and defeating sin. God, I believe that because of your son, Jesus, I can be in right relationship with you. 
that was you, and for the first time today, you declared that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you could just raise your hand. We want to celebrate that with you. We've got a Bible for you that we want to start you on the path. So if that was you, raise your hand up. Raise it high so we could see it, so we could celebrate with you. But you might also be sitting here saying, I've ne- I don't feel like my testimony is worthy of being told. If that's you, I want you to declare that God can use your story and that God wants to use your story. So God, I pray that we can believe that, that you can use our story no matter what it looks like, that salvation is life-changing. Salvation is a miracle no matter how it happens and that you can use our story and you want to use our story. So God, give us boldness. Give us the strength and the power to declare who you are, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that we are not ashamed to say it. God, thank you for today. Give us that boldness to speak your truth, your name, to those people in our path. God, we can testify your name because you testified for us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.